podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films, and horror gaming in general. My name's Paul Fricker. I'm Scott Dalwood. And I'm Matt Sanderson. This week we're going to be talking about haunted houses in Call of Cthulhu. But mm-hmm. when, I mean, when we talk about haunted houses here, what do we mean? I mean we, we're not just talking about ghosts, because I mean, really, Call of Cthulhu doesn't... I mean, it's got stats for ghosts in the book, and a few scenarios have got ghosts in. But ghosts are fundamentally not a Lovecraftian thing. No, they're far too traditional for Lovecraft's taste. Well, it's not just that, but Lovecraft, you know, took a very rationalist view of the universe. Uh, that, you know, he wanted to get away from a lot of the gothic tropes, um, and that the entities, you know, in his stories are much more science fictional. So, you know, with that in mind, though, he still uses a lot of haunted house tropes in his work. Yeah, I guess we talk about the, the tropes of haunted houses, but actually it should just be houses. Yeah. Um, they're not necessarily haunted. They're creepy, they're spooky, they're strange. They're not ne- necessarily haunted. Yeah, but I mean, haunted house is a good catch all term for it. It is. Just yeah. bear in mind that we're not necessarily talking about traditional ghosts. One of the things we're thinking about in this topic is is what great houses have appeared in horror films. And, you know, there have been haunted houses in horror films for as long as there have been horror films. There have been haunted houses in horror literature for as long as there's been gothic literature. Um, But, you know, rather than go back over the history of gothic literature, you know, because we're not really prepared to do so and we're lazy, let's just, just, yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, because I I did this as part of my degree anyway, um, that I think even the very first, or one of what is considered to be one of the first accredited gothic novels is regarding a um, a house. It's the Castle of Otranto. Yes. So there you go. It starts off with a, a house, or in this case a rather large house, where things, rather odd things are happening. Yeah, that's that set in place a lot of tropes that we've been using since then. Yeah, for the House of Usher, you continue through Poe and onwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah House on the Borderland. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, one of the uh, one of the ones that um, sprung to all our minds, I think, was the Overlook Hotel from The Shining, um, where, where the blood gets off at the fifth floor. Yes, <laughs> immortalised by Jack Nicholson and uh, so on. I was thinking The Simpsons personally, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think. One of the things that makes the Overlook Hotel such a, a wonderful example of, of Haunted House, I mean, not only is it a fantastic location to look at, not only is it big and echoing and lonely and isolated, but it's the fact that it seems to be almost a sentient, malevolent entity in itself. You know, as a building, as a place, as a location, it's a character in the story, and it has an agenda. And it, Well, it has a lot of character, um, you've got those um, the carpets, you've got the lift. There's so much decor and space, and and the the whole place you know comes to life on the screen. Um, and I can imagine if you were running that location in a role playing game, you're going to have lots of really good scenes to describe, and lots of really interesting rooms to describe, and things mm. that you can reincorporate, and odd things that are happening in the house. Um, visions that people might see in in the in the bedrooms and, and so on that are kind of key in to the locations of the house. But I mean, in in a lot of traditional haunted house stories, yeah, you know, there, there's some horrible event or some you know a murder or tragedy that's gone on that's echoing you know throughout it's like what's the place happened. has a memory. Yeah, or, or that there's some old injustice that you know the uh, the, the wronged parties want to see um, yeah, something. Uh, something has gone wrong and must be put right. It's it's almost that it's exerting bits of its own personality. Mm-hmm. If I remember from the, from at least from the Kubrick version of it, not the miniseries, it states, I think it's a throwaway comment, oh, it, they laugh it off as being, oh, the place is built on an old Indian burial ground. <laughs> Do they say that? I, I think it's while they're doing the tour around the... Um, around the I was going to mention the Indian burial ground. I mean. Yes. Mm, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think it's in the book, but it's been long since I've read it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because what was that in Poltergeist? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, oh, no, that that wasn't an Indian burial ground. They just they well, didn't you, no, move the cemetery. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All oh, right. Yeah, you only moved the headstones. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I I really like that idea of you know the the house as effectively a character in there. I mean, my my you know probably my favourite haunted house story. You know both be the original film adaptation and the novel that is based on. Um, you know Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, and uh, you know the, the the Robert Wise 1963 film The Haunting, and let's not speak of the the, the one that was made in the 1990s. <laughs> but well, um, you mean the Gus Van Sant masterpiece. Oh, for fuck's <laughs> <sake>. <laughs> <laughs> how, how to miss everything that was good and decent about the story, and just ah, oh, yeah. What this what the Haunting of Hill House really needs is is special effects, cute children, and a happy ending. <laughs> it would have been so much better if it got Nicolas Cage in it. Really, that was the only yeah, thing. That, that was the other thing <laughs> that thought. was missing. But, um, but, but yeah, Hill House again, like the Overlook Hotel, is a malevolent presence in there that you know is is sort of using the haunting and is is creating its own ghosts and is creating tragedy there in order to you know perpetuate some kind of internal need. Yeah, is it, it's it's almost like you know a um, a deranged parent uh, or something like that, you know, wanting to steal other people's children. Or in this case, you know, steal living people and, and you know keep them for itself as ghosts. You see, when, when you were starting the, the description, I thought, "Damn, you're going to steal my I steal my choice." Because while while as much as I like the Kubrick version of the film, I'm not massively fond of the book. Um, the one for me that's kind of the archetypical um, the house is Richard Matheson's Hell House. Mm. So I think that's an amazing movie. I really, really, really like that one. Yeah, a pretty good book as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of one of those that, again is on my pile of I want to read at some point, <laughs> but I have got it. It's another Stephen King one, but um, the one that's just sprung to mind for me is the Mars the Marsden House from Salem's Lot. Oh yes, of course. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. And the protagonist in that looks back to his um, memories as a child of kind of going up there and being egged on by the other kids to kind of go in the old Marsden house and it was kind of like this creepy old house. And I think most of us grew up in, you know, probably most of us grew up in towns and there was one house that was kind of derelict and a bit creepy and you'd hear of kids that were a bit older going into it and it was kind of tempting but people wouldn't. Did, did you have that experience? I don't know. Did you have that in Hong Kong, Scott? No. No, okay. You didn't either, Matt. I'm Just shaking me. my head. Okay, yeah. well, I definitely had it in Buckingham. <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, it was just that that thing. And, and then you know, obviously, somebody then moves in. You know, Mister Barlow moves in um, in Salem's lot, and uh, you know, the old place is is coming back to life. And ultimately, they go back there and uh, you know confront him. But uh, yeah, quite, quite ironic to say, quite ironic to say, it's coming back to life. <laughs> well, <laughs> it kind of is. Well, a house, you know, it kind of comes to life when there are people in it, or maybe not. Yeah, another one of my favourites that just came to mind was the old Amicus portmanteau film, The House That Drip Blood. That, you know, like a lot of the Amicus uh, portmanteaus of the time, you know, the late 60s, early 70s, is a, a collection of four short pieces, but in this case, all around a house. Um, the house itself, unlike, say, you know, a Hill House or the Overlook Hotel, doesn't seem to have a personality of its own, but it's just a place where, you know, tragedy trends, tends to befall the people who move in there. And um, you know, to that extent, it becomes like a character in in all these these different stories, which, if I remember correctly, were all written by Robert Block. Oh, oh. Uh, he did a number of films around the kiss at the time. Hmm. Is that the, again, one that's popped into my head suddenly, which we put on the list. It's um, the Lost Room. Oh yeah, yeah. Of course, the um, the room that, by definition, is in, integral to the story. It's um, based around those pretty much unknown armies, the TV series, really. But yes, the idea that something weird happens in this place that's not quite you know, a classic uh, you know, death causing a haunting, but this supernatural occurrence that causes the place to change. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah, it is sort of a haunted house in that respect. Uh, so what about um, houses in H.P. Lovecraft's fiction? Yeah, I mean, we've discussed a fair number of these on previous podcasts. Um, yeah, obviously, the Witch House from Dreams in the Witch House, you know, it really fits into uh, the the whole haunted house mold. Well, it's got the whole uh, kind of non-Euclidean angles and so on inside it, and a, and a hidden room in the loft. Yeah, um, and Kazai Mason and Brown Jenkins almost take the form of ghosts in the story. They're very much a part of the the house. The two go hand in hand. 
But it's also the way they manifest in the story. They manifest like mm. ghosts. They, you know, they come to the person, mm. you know, the you know, person sleeping in the room uh, when he's vulnerable. They appear in enormous ghostly guise. And when when the house is finally destroyed, uh, you know, when the tree crashes down on it at the end, and, and the workmen go in, the house is kind of like dead, if you like, and they find Brown Jenkins' body. Yeah, he's and, dead as well, and all the other um, bones and such up in the nether realm as well. Yeah. Yes. So that's that's quite a common theme. The kind of house is destroyed, and that's kind of the end of a story. You know, yeah. in quite a few of these films, you know, something terrible happens to the house. I mean, if you think of, um, you know, the fall of the, the house. Franken- well, I was thinking of the Frankenstein mansion in some of the old thirties films. You yeah. know, it'll end up with the the castle getting struck by lightning or something and catching fire. Obviously, in the next one, it's all fine again, and then they renovate it and bring it back to life. But. Um, but, but sometimes, yeah, it's, it's as simple as fleeing the location, you know, like the Amityville Horror. Mm. You know, it's, you know, eventually you get to the stage where, you know, fuck this shit, I've had enough, let's mm-hmm. move out. And then the doors won't open, or the, you know, the, the, the thing is kind of fighting against you and the house is not letting you get out. Yeah. Break a window, damn it! <laughs> doors aren't the only way out oh, somewhere. There, there was, um, I, uh, I, I've kind of railed against found footage films before because, you know, Fundamentally, I don't like them very much. But there was one I saw uh, a little while back which quite impressed me along those lines called Grave Encounters, um, which uh, is about... Uh, yeah, it's, it's a classic found footage uh, type thing where you've got a TV crew going in. I, I can't remember they're doing a proper TV series or a web series or something like that. But a small film crew going in basically to do a, a haunted house type documentary in an abandoned psychiatric hospital. But what makes it interesting is the fact that um, you know they, they do the sensible thing you know towards the the end of the film as as you know shit starts to go down um, and decide they're going to get the hell out of there. But um, the 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 location itself, sorry, this is going to be a bit of a spoiler if you haven't seen it, fights against them in very interesting ways by starting to play games with space and time, and yeah, it's it's really quite creepy. Hmm. Thinking of one, uh, another film that does kind of turn expectation on its head a little bit, even with the tagline of "You think you know the story." Cabin in the Woods. Oh yes. <laughs> well, the whole concept of the cabin in the woods prior to that film yeah. was was very much um, a kind of almost urban legend, kind of urban myth, really. Yeah, it's a, it's a very strong location, which is just a a, a horror trope, really. Um, I mean, it was used by. Um, the chappie in uh, Antichrist, yeah. Lars von Trier. Um, you know, you, you're watching that, and that's a, you know, that's, that's not you, one might call it a horror film, but it's not your standard horror film by any means. Um, but then it suddenly does go to the cabin in the woods, and it's the whole thing of isolation. It's this um, remote location. It's um, kind of strange things that have happened there previously that are sort of coming in. There's you know, there's stuff in the shed. Um, yeah, it's um, it's just just a. I mean, we see so many horror films where you know it's just the cabin in the woods, and then yeah. we get the film, obviously, uh, with Joss Whedon's script, the, the Cabin in the Woods, which is is awesome. Yes, which you know probably owes a lot more to the Evil Dead than Antichrist. But, yeah. Well, I guess the Cabin in the Woods, uh, the, the uh, um, <laughs> the Evil Dead is uh, you know that's that's really the the defining yeah. cabin in the woods, isn't it? Well, is, isn't the cabin in the cabin in the woods made up to look like the, exactly yeah, yeah. the cabin from Evil Dead? Mm. Yes. Mm. Yes. You still get to see that. I've only ever actually seen Army of Darkness of the the Evil really? Dead films. Oh gosh, mm. no! The all, all three Evil Dead films are worth seeing. The first one is profoundly different from the other two. Well, I mean, all three of them are very different. But the first one is yeah, is is gory. It's over the top, almost ludicrously so at times. But it is an absolutely straight horror film. The the comedy didn't start coming in until the second film. So I wonder what the first Cabin in the Woods story was. Oh gosh, that's something for you, listener. If yeah. you know, um, suggest to us what the first Cabin in the Woods film or story was. Yeah. I'd be interested to know hmm. where that all began. Hmm. Yeah, there's probably an Ambrose Beer story out there somewhere that. Yeah. <laughs> we were, we started talking about Lovecraft there. We said yes. about the witch house. Um, the one that stands out for me would be the Delapore Mansion in 
uh, Rats in the Walls, in which the, the house really plays a strong part. Not only do we get the, the rats or whatever it is clawing in the walls, uh, we get the whole thing of him going down the cellar and, you know, finding hidden vistas below ground of, you know, Roman ruins and then deeper and deeper. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's an awesome house. Mm. Yeah, so it's for me, it's the, uh, the Church of the Starry Wisdom. Uh, is it in Providence? Yes. It, yeah. Um, in uh, Haunter of the Dark. Yeah. So the image of um, going up the winding staircase that goes up the spire to the to the room full of mythos tomes and that innocent looking box. <laughs> but yeah, I mean Lovecraft used all sorts of um, classic haunted house uh, locations in, in a number of his minor stories. Um, the Evil Clergyman. I mean, it's a long time since I've read it, but I, I remember that is. Uh, yeah, as being you know very much almost a, a traditional ghost appearing, you know the ghost of the clergyman, but with a, a very different outcome. Uh, the picture in the house uh, is this kind of degenerate, decrepit old house with a, a rather nasty cannibalistic occupant, um, and even uh, well, it was the terrible old man with his uh, kind of hidden chamber full of the bottles and so on feels again like a creepy old haunted house. There's another. House and in inverted commas that suddenly thought of, which would um, permeate through a few of Lovecraft's stories, but it's only ever mentioned but never described in his house at Frelay, Dead Cthulhu. Oh, yeah. yeah, nice. <laughs> it's nice how it's called a house. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's got a welcome mat out the front. Yeah. 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 Love, lovely interior interior decor. A few non-Euclidean begonias in the <laughs> the window box. Yeah. Pop petunia. <laughs> Probably got the kettle on. <laughs> Yeah, we, we've talked a lot about haunted houses in, um, yeah, you know, in various stories in literature and to, to sort of defining what a haunted house is. But what what is it that that you know brings us to haunted houses? What is it that makes them interesting? What yeah, particularly from a gaming point of view, what is it that makes haunted houses so appealing for horror games? I think the reason that houses are so attractive is because we all live in a house or apartment or flat or something um, and the house represents home it represents a place of safety it's you know if it's not our home it was somebody's home that's that's a place where we want to where we want to be where we want to feel secure and having that go wrong is is very disturbing have this very yeah. intimate location yeah, I mean, as, as much as I despise the film, Paranormal Activity did quite a good job of uh, sort of bringing home that um, that violation of you know, where you're supposed to feel safe. And, you know, the Amityville Horror as well, I think, did a fairly good job of that as well. Particularly, I think, yeah, when it's... Or, or Poltergeist, you know, when it's a, yeah. a family, a mundane family living in a house, then strange things start to, go happen, start to happen. It's very easy to think, that could be me. That could be in my house. And we've all been in the house and you've heard a strange noise, a bump upstairs <laughs> or, you know, something something occurring. Only this evening uh, we were watching Game of Thrones and there was a weird noise, like something coming down the stairs. And we, we all kind of paused and then Lucy said, oh, that'll be that pair of scissors falling down the stairs. <laughs> She's got a roll. I don't know. She knew what it was. I think she'd set it up as a trap for me. Just like this this roll of tape with a set of scissors on top. I don't know why it jumped down the stairs, but it chose to about halfway through the show. It's coming to get you. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I lived in a house years back where um, I was sharing it with a few friends, and regularly in the middle of the night, it had a, it was a fairly you know, narrow house that was on a number of different levels, um, and it had a, a central stairwell that went up over three stories, and regularly in the middle of the night we'd get woken up by the sounds of footsteps running up and down those stairs. Mm. Uh, th- this isn't the only time where strange shit has happened to you when you've lived in a place, though, is it? <laughs> Weirdness tends to follow you. <laughs> so we do... I, th- I think... So it's easy to kind of put yourself in that position that there's something a little bit weird. I've kind of encountered those, a little bit of that weirdness. Um, and then your mind starts to, to run on, and that's where that's where the horror sets in, I think. 
Yeah, and I mean, there's a flip side to that as well because you talk about um, you know a home, you know, houses being home and houses being where you feel safe. But in a lot of cases, they also work as a sort of extension of our psyches that we identify with our homes to a large extent. So an intrusion into our home, a corruption of the home, is very much a corruption of self. And I think that the you know, extends to the fact that you know when we dream about houses, we're really dreaming about the inside of our own minds. And when we dream about bad things happening in houses, we're sort of seeing you know, horrors happening within our own minds. Well, that, what you just said prior to that put me in mind of, you know, the experience of being burgled. It feels like a great violation. Um, but, you know, if you're not in your house and somebody breaks in, well, you know, it, why is that such a great um, psychological thing? Well, it is, um, yeah, I think, for most people. breaking into you. Yeah, somehow. yeah, it's a very personal attack. It's your home, it's your personal space it's got your things and, and also another thing that, that um it brings to mind is if you start renovating your home taking up carpet stripping off wallpaper suddenly you're peeling back history and you're oh, yeah. seeing what was there before and you're finding things under the carpet well, yes. old newspapers yeah. in walls in 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 wall space and things like that i mean i've done these things well yeah it's the history of the place it's the idea that you yeah, um Obviously, this depends a lot on where you live. But if you live in an old house, you know, like as as you know, you do and as as I do, you know, houses that have been around for you know over a hundred years, <coughs> but, you know, lots of people, different people, have lived there. That you know, this has been an essential part of their life, and to some extent, you're inheriting you know bits of their history when you do that. You're inheriting bits of other people's lives, strangers' lives. Yes, because it's funny to think when I look at my house, which was built around 1870. Looking at that, and, and, and you know, the, um, recently we broke one of the door latches um, to the to the stair door, um, and I was looking at it thinking, that's probably the, just the original door latch. That probably hasn't been replaced. Um, so those, you know, some of those things, some of the, you know, um, it was a farmer's cottage. It, I don't think it was. It hasn't had any major renovations. So a lot of those things are just original features. About 150 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes I'm I'm laid in in bed in the morning and I'm sort of thinking, you know, somebody would have laid in in this room 150 years ago, and what would it have been like? There'd have been no electricity. The road would have been so much quieter. Um, the world would have been a very different place. No internet. No TV. No radio. Um, what would that experience have been like? And that man or woman was sleeping in that well not the same bed but the same bedroom and and yeah haunting represents sort of a connection with that lost past mm. yeah, the thing for me from a gaming angle as well is that while they say this that certainly all builds up mood atmosphere theme and so forth is the house itself can present a physical puzzle of which you're mm. trying to solve of which you're going on the ghost story angle that something bad has happened that must be put right is that as you are peeling through those different levels of history you're finding little bits of clues as to what could have happened there and that then your objective as PCs stereotypically speaking is to try and right that wrong and to find out what went wrong and way to counter it well and also going back to dreams of the witch house um the the idea of hidden locations hidden rooms and passages and so on is again fairly powerful because again it you know, sort of ties in with that uh, idea of there being mysteries to solve but also you know it's again part of the connection to the past and also you know maybe even part of the metaphor uh, aspect of it as well that you know there, there are these secret parts of you know a place that you thought you knew that you're suddenly uncovering there's the the question of what these things were for, what you know, what purpose they served. Yeah, you know, I mean, you get old houses in the UK that have got priest holes in them, and when you mm-hmm. think about them, priest holes are pretty strange things. Do you want to say what they are, Scott? Some people might not know. Yeah, so um, under Henry VIII we had the Reformation where the UK went from being uh, Roman Catholic uh, uh, to Protestant. And in the process, you know, a lot of the uh, the Roman Catholic churches and uh, monasteries were you know, torn down, uh, the priests persecuted, well, the, the, the clergy in general persecuted. And um, you know, a lot of houses, uh, or a lot, you know, a lot of people 
ended up hiding uh, members of the clergy to protect them from you know the um, the fates that awaited them, and so you know it became you know well not common but not unusual for larger houses to have these hiding areas you know almost like um, you know Anne Frank in in Amsterdam at the same yeah World little War. concealed rooms yeah, yeah. where where you, you would hide your your members of the clergy so that uh, they didn't end up uh, suffering a horrible fate. I don't know if I've talked about this before on the podcast, but um, I had some friends who lived in a rented house in Yorkshire, uh, and Yorkshire being a very hilly area, the house was partly built into the hill. Um, and I think they'd been living there a few months when they went out for a walk with their dog. And they were kind of just casually looking at the house as they walked back. And they said, what's that window? <laughs> and they kind of thought, well, it's not the kitchen window. It's not, you know, it's not the bedroom. And they went in their house and tried to figure out where this room was and realised that there was another room that had been blocked off. It was just a little pokey room that had been blocked off by the, by the, by the owner for, I don't know, I can't remember why, but, you know, they, they managed to find it. I think it was, I'm not quite sure how it was concealed, but, um, yeah, basically there was another room that they didn't know about. Right. I mean, how creepy is that? That's yeah. where the exorcism took place, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the worst part of that was the pale face that they saw looking out of the window. As I they like to past. think so. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, haunted houses, as you say, you know, present lots of mysteries to investigate. I mean, obviously, that's one of them, what that room was for. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it acts as a focus for, for all those mysteries. Um, you know, it, sometimes, you know, going back to... Uh, the idea of a Call of Cthulhu scenario. If you've got you know something that's spread out across a town or lots of locations and so on, then I mean there's travel involved, even with lots of NPCs. You're piecing together information. Again, you, know, you can get quite messy. But if you want, you know, and perhaps sometimes even you know dilute the growing sense of menace. But the the idea of a haunted house, particularly an isolated one, if you can get one that's you know out on the moors somewhere or up on a high. It starts level, snowing you know, and you can't. Yeah. Leave easily, and, and it bottles all that fear up in one place. Yeah, yeah. There's a terrible storm outside, and you're all stuck in there for the night. Jailbreak. Yeah. Thinking, considering that's pretty much you, you are an isolated farmhouse in the middle of nowhere with a raging storm. Outside. That's the classic unknown armies scenario. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, yeah. hailstorm going. It's a, it's a great location for a one-off um, adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so you've got little. Uh, individual pieces of weirdness located in each room so again even the physical makeup of the place helps to compartmentalize encounters yeah it's it's almost like constructing a dungeon in some respect because you know you are um taking a topographical approach to designing the scenario mm-hmm. you know, it, to some extent that yeah all right there's going to be layers of history and events and so on that you come up with but a lot of it is going to be key to locations and that gives you an automatic structure for creating this, that a more abstract one you know, might leave you struggling with a bit. And as with a dungeon, if we take that as a, as a model, you can, for your house, you can put in traps. They're not classic D&D type traps, but you can put in some sort of, um, um, you know, dangers. You can put in concealed doors, hidden rooms. Levitating beds. You can put in walls that... And, well, another thing I've, I've, I've seen is that um, in some scenarios there'll be a spot hidden roll to realise that the cupboard isn't as deep as it should be because there's, it's got a false back and there's something behind it. Or that, you know, the wall between the kitchen and the dining room is actually about three feet thick and there's a secret corridor built into it, which, unless you're quite perceptive, perhaps you don't notice. Um, and I think one scenario where uh, there's, a, there's, an act- there's a resident in the house but you go to the house to, to do some work there and you don't know this. Mm. And there's this resident in the house that's creeping around and doing things and coming out and visiting you in the middle of the night and doing all sorts of freaky things. I love that scenario. I'm not going to say which one it is, not to give away spoilers, but um, it's just such a simple concept um, that, that, that just works wonderfully well. Yeah, thinking, thinking of other scenarios we've played again without giving away spoilers, there's one of my favourites that um, involves going to a, um, in this case it's an apartment block, so close enough, um, to look for a missing uh, missing girl. And the, as the investigators are wandering around looking for what's happening, realising that all the people in the place have been touched by something, 
that after dark they realise that hang on a minute, where's that stair staircase go that goes up to another floor that wasn't there? And that then just the building keeps going up and up and up and the increasingly more weird things that they find there. One of the things that appeals to me about horror is uh, taking the normal and making it strange. And I think that's quite horrifying. So an everyday thing that we're quite used to, that we encounter every day, like a house, like a door, like a set of stairs, when they start to behave oddly, that's very disturbing because, you know, that, that pulls the rug away from under our feet. Yeah. But, I mean, haunted houses or, you know, horrific locations in general are so, you know, integral to, um, to Call of Cthulhu. But, I mean, we've, we've mentioned the classic Call of Cthulhu scenario, The Haunting. Well, in the uh, previous... Before. Yeah, in the, in the one that we recorded earlier this evening, but probably came out three weeks ago by the time you're listening to this. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, The, the Haunting is, uh, you know, as, as the, the title suggests, is a fairly classic haunted house scenario very much so um and there's you know chaos seems put out a a whole book mansions of madness which is you know effectively uh haunted house scenarios yeah um you know none of them again i think are traditional ghost stories but they they all use the tropes of haunted houses Mm -hmm. so you know uh, even though call of cthulhu isn't isn't about ghosts that doesn't mean that it's not about haunted houses yeah, there's there's at least one other one I can think of in Last Rites, another collection that has um, that has a house there, and again that has a hidden room and other ways to get into it, and so. Yeah, and actually I can think of two that I've written. In fact, three I've written myself. Uh, yeah. yeah, including uh, Blue Prospect, uh, which is going to be in um, Nameless Horrors. Yeah, oh, even um, I have written a haunted house scenario um, that fingers crossed he says hopefully should be out by Gen Con. Um, called the Seventh Circle. Um, that that is about a team that go into a haunted location. You played it, Paul. Mm. The um, the one on Eileen Moore. This is the Trail of Cthulhu. It's fear itself, but I think it can be run as a Trail of Cthulhu okay. adventure yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah, if you if you get the chance to play it, don't go inside. That's my advice. <laughs> Just burn it down. <laughs> yeah. Call, you, call, call the police. Burn the house down. Run away. Funnily enough, I've got you covered on two aspects. I've got a call the police sidebar in there, so screw you. <laughs> <laughs> and also, the whole place is built of concrete and is about 100 foot across. Good luck getting it burning. <laughs> okay, well, then option three, run away. Don't, don't engage with the scenario. That, that's the only way to win. Two groups did that in playtest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, sorry, that's a little digression. Well, it's on an island in the sea, so you can't run off very far away. You, well, you can't well, they can't because and... they're, they're, sealed, well, they're sealed on the island at that point. Yeah, but yeah, all right. I I just joked about those three options, but please, for the love of God, if you're playing a horror game, engage with the fucking scenario. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've had how many instances of just... players running away? <laughs> you're signed up to play a horror game. Play the fucking horror game. Just don't dance around the outskirts. Go, oh, looks a bit scary. A bit scary. No, better not do anything about that. It looks a bit scary. Let's go away. Let's go. Let's, my- let's leave a. Let's go. Let's go off and lead a normal life down in London, being accountants. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Scott. Scott. My guy would just wouldn't do that. <laughs> it's just. It just isn't logical. It just isn't sane. What? What are you telling me? I want freedom of what my character can do. So, anyway, <laughs> a slight rant there. It's, it's, another, it's another one of those buttons that you're going to need to push it, and all of a sudden the door goes, ah! <laughs> yes. If, if you're on Google Plus at all, uh, and you've got me circled on there, take a look through my post history. A long, a long time ago, about a year, 18 months ago, I wrote, I wrote a mini role playing game called We Call the Police. Just, just take a look. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's a reason why, as I say, I usually put calling the police as an option, a sidebar, instead yeah. of how, how to screw your players. <laughs> so, what advice can we offer, if any, for the listener um, about running a game with a haunted house or creating a scenario with a haunted house? Ten foot pole and a gas can and a lighter. Well, I, I think the first thing is to get a, a really strong sense of what the house is. I, what do you want to do with it? I mean, is the house going to be you know, an, an active participant in the scenario? Is it just a place where bad things have happened? Is it a place that's a concentration of mysteries and things to be uncovered? Um, or, or is it something just much stranger? Maybe it's an alien entity that's just pretending to be a house... Um, I, I would certainly encourage people to try and tie the history of the house into the scenario. If the house is an important aspect, there's two things I think you can do. One is just to use the 
the description and decor of the house, the architecture, the the, the history of the place, it kind of gives so much colour and atmosphere. Um, you know, when when we think about some of the, the houses we've talked about in films and uh, and, and stories, it, the descriptions or the visuals of them tell you a lot about the story, about the, the period, the setting, the history of the place, an old house, a new house, and so on. So, I, I, And I think, you know, basing it on somewhere you know or somewhere you've been is uh, is quite... Um, it makes it quite easy to, you know, to for a start visualise it and, um, you know, to turn it into somewhere absolutely real. Uh, there was... Um, one I can talk about quite quite freely because it's not something I've ever written up for publication and probably never will but a cult scenario that I've run for both of you years back uh, which is uh, set in uh, a squat uh, block of flats that's filled with squatters on the Old Kent Road in London um, and I base it on the location I knew because a friend of mine lived in a squat in the block of flats on the Old Kent Road in, in the 1980s and I used to visit him there from time to time and it was a pretty fucking scary place just because of some of the people who lived there. Um, he ended up having to move out after... Um, oh, actually, yeah, sorry, this this goes a bit dark, but basically something really horrible happened in his flat to some of his flatmates, and I won't go into the detail. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it was a really nasty, dangerous place to live. And, you know, I just knew that I wanted to set a horror scenario there, so I set a, a sort of really sort of creepy, fucked-up, Haunted house scenario there the the one with uh, the uh, the sort of centipede type thing Mr Love that lived mm, there yes uh, and yeah I just based you know the entire place the physical representation you know everything that was fundamentally wrong and creepy about the place on what the actual place was like yeah I think that's a good bit of advice to base it on somewhere where you've been if you're running the game you're familiar with it what could be better than that because you can just talk about the place and your memories of it and, and bring it to life much better than. You know, perhaps something you're just trying to make up. Or you, do, or you do the reverse, like me. You pick a place on the map that says that's interesting, then you go there and research it firsthand. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the advantage of you know of thinking about the the places you've known is that if you can pick on a place that has scared you for some reason, then you've got that emotional connection to it to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for example, I, I, I quite fancy the idea at some stage of... Um, yeah, the, one thing um, we we did a while back was we attended a LARP in Sweden oh uh, where God, we went to yes. a few bizarre locations mm. and one of them was a disused bomb shelter uh, that we ended up breaking into and this, this Cold War mm. bomb shelter that hadn't been used for probably 30 years or so at that stage. And I just it, remember us tying you up in a corner and then after you trying to eat one of the clues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and try to smack Kiri in the head with a shovel. Yes. <laughs> but, but to be fair, I'm probably not the only person who's ever tried that. <laughs> oh, the day goes by without somebody trying. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that'd be a fantastic location for a haunted house uh, type scenario. I mean, that, you know, it's, it's a creepy, disused place. Mm. Um, and, God, the atmosphere in there. I was just thinking the second one, the second location we went to, the, 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 uh, office. Empty, the empty block of flat. Uh, yeah, the office. office. Yeah, I was kind of bricking myself going around that. I was, I was convinced there was someone that they had got, they basically was waiting in a room that was going to jump out at us at any given moment. <laughs> but no, it was just empty. But even so, just the atmosphere yeah. of that place. Yeah, so, well, I think the, the key thing here, yeah, is, is places you've been to which have given you creeps a bit. Maybe try and think, can you kind of get that feeling into the story? And it, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to. Yeah, you don't have to use, you don't have to tell them what the location was, but just try and use some aspect of that in your in your game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and similarly, you know, with what Paul and I were talking about earlier, if you've ever lived in a house where you know strange things have happened, use some of those. Yeah, or just something unexplained that you can draw on and extrapolate from and expand on. Yeah. So to give something a bit more concrete, then, um, you know, we, we've talked a few times before about how. You know, we construct scenarios and, you know, we brainstormed a few things on the show before. Um, so let's let's use that bomb shelter in Sweden as an example because we've all been there before. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be based in Sweden. But let's let's talk about, you know, how we'd, we'd use that in a scenario. I mean, you know, the, the, the thing for me, first of all, that makes that, you know, interesting is the fact the, the isolation involved... Um, well, for a start, you know, somewhere that's soundproof, it's somewhere that's cut off from the real world. It feels like you're in a different space inside there, and it's the fact that we, you know, we actually did.
did have to break into the place in order to get in there. Pull the rusted door show uh, yeah. that was previously shut, pull that open, I remember. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it is isolated, but one of the things I like is isolation, which isn't far from the population. So it was isolated, but it was in Stockholm, it was in yeah. the city. Um, but there are places that you can go that... Um, you're kind of in the middle of the town, you're in the middle of the city, and then you go somewhere and suddenly you're isolated, you're kind of cut off from everything, um, and, you know, for whatever reason. Um, and once you're in there, you might as well have been, you know, in the middle of the forest, really. Yeah. You, were miles, you could be miles from anywhere until you went out again. And even then, the, the door to the place wasn't, you know, I think maybe there was a park or something yeah. nearby. It, it was dark obvious. at the time. No, no. But I mean, taking taking that as a location, I, one one thing that kind of fascinates me about it is the fact that it is this relic of the past. It's been cut off from the modern world. It's been left to decay. It is a place out of time. And yeah, you know, if I were using that in a scenario, I'd probably you know riff on that slightly. Yeah, you know, maybe this is going more into sapphire and steel territory than <laughs> uh, than Lovecraft, but you know the, the the two could fit together very well. That is exactly well, where I was going, actually. <laughs> which is yeah, you know, maybe one of the reasons it feels so much outside time is because it is outside time. That it's you know sort of this little bubble, this capsule in time. That you know you you're going in there, but while you're there, you are not just physically cut off from the the outside world, but you know, out out of the normal flow of time. Um, yeah, the, the story hook that was uh, kind of building in my mind. Say, I pick, as mentioned previously, I picture everything quite visually. It was when you said about sapphire and steel. Is what I was thinking of the first ep- um, the first story with the with um, the house. Yeah, yeah, um, with the scene in the kids' bedroom in the attic upstairs where the wall just rushes back and then there's this like leprous figure that starts walking from the distance, kind of gradually coming closer and closer and closer. Because the thing that struck me with the bomb shelter was that there was a kind of antechamber at the front, which where we had to pull open the rusted door and then so the larger door inside that. When we got in there, which is this curved roof that just went off into the black, yeah. and it just extends off, and say to have something coming out of that, or that you realise, you think, well, the plan says that it should go back fifty feet, but I'm still going. Where does this thing go? Yeah, well, I mean, it, like, let's let's say that you know someone had built a bomb shelter like this because they believed the nuclear apocalypse uh, was inevitable. But let's say that the person who did it had a knowledge of the mythos, and they tried to create you know, a space for themselves in which they could survive whatever would happen in the outside world. Mm. No, right. stars come right. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yes, yeah. Maybe it's not a nuclear apocalypse. Maybe it's you know the the real end. Of yeah, the they've world. been reading the charts and figured that the uh, the stars are going to come right, and uh, clearly it's going to rise, and yeah, you know, they're going to get in this bunker until he's flown off into the sky. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, this this bunker sort of exists as this this bubble within time, uh, the, the, not quite stasis, but maybe time passes differently. Space works a bit differently inside there, and you know, well, you're 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 inside there. It's nightmarish, but you're you're safe from whatever happens in the outside world. On the other hand. You know, the cultists who created it are still there within the pockets of space-time that you know the, the, that uh, they built for themselves, and they're not happy about having intruders. It's almost like a Yithian stasis cube, in that sense. Maybe mm. partially discovered alien technology that hasn't been replicated in a sufficient fashion, so that it is maybe breaking down. That you've got echoes of different people that have come in this thing at different times, or have oh, yet yeah. to come into it. Yeah, um, starting to come in. Yeah, yes, if time's moving in different parts and there are echoes of time going throughout, then it could be you know, quite a disconcerting, terrifying place to be because you're seeing things that you'd expect to be ghosts but are perhaps just echoes of you know, what people did mm-hmm. you know, uh, ten minutes into the future. Indeed. And this guy has, has created this bunker and he knows he's going to be in there for a long time. Yeah. So the question arises kind of what he's going to be doing in there. Well, yeah, they, <laughs> Um, I mean, if he's been in there for sufficiently long, then, I mean, he probably wasn't very sane to begin with, and the isolation or, you know, the, um, the effects of, of playing around with time are probably going to disturb, you know, disturb his mind even further. But uh, another aspect just occurred to me, I mean, what if part of um, what he needs to sustain 
this this experiment with time that's going on within there is you know human sacrifice. So he draws um, people there. Yeah, that, that is almost like the Venus flytrap. I'm wondering if at the start you could just ask the players, there's this um, old bombshell that you've heard about, why are you going there? Yeah. Tell me why you're going there. And some people are going to say, oh, we're, you know, we're, um, we're some young couples yeah. going there. Urbexing. Um, yeah. Doing what, Matt? Urbex, urban exploring. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, just yeah. for a dare. Um, yeah, somewhere quiet to make out. Yeah. Um, T- yeah. Uh, just bored teenagers looking for somewhere to smoke dope and play music loud. Yeah. Um, for a place to brew crystal meth. Gone there to hide the bodies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hide bodies. That'd be a good one. Yeah. So, I mean, doesn't really, the reason doesn't really matter. What was that, Scott? Larping. Yes. Fantastic. Um, so, the reason doesn't really matter, but if the players come up with a fun reason, that could be a pretty good thing to riff off of. Yeah. Um, but basically... That isn't the reason. The reason is this entity in there has actually kind of drawn them there and they, yeah. they fabricate a reason why they think they're going there, but that's not the real reason. Yeah. And, yeah, as they go in, then, yeah, uh, obviously it's just the one cultist in there, so he knows that he's going to be outnumbered by the people uh, that he's drawing in. So he's got to play games to try to divide and conquer. So, yes, I mean, there are going to be tricks with time and space to separate people out, nightmare visions, um, you know, frights. uh, It it was almost like funhouse mirror tricks with space and time and stuff like that. I mean, it's sounding a little bit like the haunting with a... You know, some concealed figure um, that's playing tricks on on the house. Yeah, well, I, 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 one possibility, I suppose, to make it a bit different then is, you know, what 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 if the cultist who set all this up actually isn't there anymore? What if he's died, and it's just the echo? You know, he set the place up to do this. And, you know, the danger in there is just, you know, <laughs> it keeps drawing people in. And, the, you know, the, the danger is actually the other people have been drawn in who have been driven mad by the experience and, you know, going steadily feral, mad, hungry, driven mad by hunger and just unable to escape. So very much like Hell House then in that sense where you've mm-hmm. got the, the main person, Belasco, at the end of it who is dead. Yeah. And that he's just, his remains are an integral part of the building. Yeah, except in this case, you know, in the, in the case of Hell House, it was still his motivating spirit that was doing mm-hmm. it all. But in this, you know, it's just the spell the cultist has set up. That's yeah. you know, it, he, he put it there for his own convenience, but it's outlived his, his, useful, his usefulness. Mm-hmm. He's just died, and uh, it just the, the place carries on doing what it's doing. So taking a house that you're familiar with and just riffing off it and trying to come up with some ideas um, and building up some scenario seeds and trying to weave them together into a scenario, that can be a good place to start with, with the location. Uh, so, uh, yes, why are we talking about locations? Yeah, the, we, we chose the theme for this episode for a very particular reason. Uh, well, I mean, the, the, this is why we started out talking about locations rather than haunted houses, because we have uh, a location to say goodbye to, and it's breaking our hearts. It is. Aww. No more shed. Yep. We have recorded, uh, I think this is going to be episode 38 when it goes out, so 38 episodes in Paul's pottery shed uh, in the garden by, you know, just next to his house. Um, for those of you who haven't seen the pictures on the website, it is a pokey little shed that smells of mould, is too hot in the summer, is too cold in the winter, mm. has got spiders in it, moths that flap around. Cobwebs, um, yeah. lots lots of mugs, containers, potter's wheels... Yeah, uh, oh, um, explosive cylinders of gas. Uh, there was a flamethrower flame in here for a while. So, so basically yeah. it's a fucking death trap. <laughs> and God, we're going to miss it. Yeah. We sure are. So so yeah, Paul's moving house next week, so the shed... Um, yeah, we'll have to say goodbye to the shed and start recording in his kitchen instead. Yeah. Uh, but well, well, I think I've got a space for us, so... Uh, you, you, well, will have, you will have to bring along the chair mainly because of the mould that is the. I was it's our been friend. Joking. Yeah, we, 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 we've we, talked about it since December, haven't we? Yeah, we've yeah. mentioned it in passing, but I don't think we've ever explained the comments. We we have a stool that sits in the middle of the three of us with our microphone on it, and the stool has been getting progressively mouldier and mouldier. It's part of the ritual of our recording that every time we come in here, Paul says, "Oh yeah, I must do something about that stool," <laughs> <laughs> and, and every every time the smell is more pungent. I don't really notice it. <laughs> 
case and point. <laughs> yeah, but this is your workshop. I, I, you know that William Hope Hodgson story, A Voice in the Night? Um, oh, it's, um, it's, a, it's a classic story about uh, some people who are shipwrecked on an island where there's lots of strange mould and fungus growing, and they eventually get taken over by it. Um, and, you know, it permeates their body and it changes them. And obviously they become completely inured to it. And this is what's happened to you. The mould so. the mold has taken you over. It's got inside yeah. your brain. You can't smell it anymore because I, it's, it's filling your nasal passages. I don't doubt that for a moment. It's, it's, it's driving you like a car. I, I've just been thinking of it as the green decay, personally. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it was when we came back after our break over New Year. And then we walked inside and said, oh, yeah, I haven't been here for a long while, for a good couple of weeks, because it's been freezing. And, yeah, and then we said, oh, what's that crawling up the leg of the chair? <laughs> <laughs> it's been cold, but not too cold for the fucking mould to grow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've endured freezing cold temperatures, having to dress up in thick clothing, and then you sat there going, this is fairly warm. Yeah, at times <laughs> Scott's been in a T-shirt with a, just a light shirt over the top. And other times, like tonight, it's sweltering hot, and he sat there in a t-shirt with a light shirt over top. Because <laughs> Chris Mann does rushing. not feel hot, heat, or cold. No. <laughs> uh, okay. No, th- th- this is what happens when you're a Scotsman who's raised in the tropics. Yeah, yes. Yeah, your, your ability to feel temperature just breaks. <laughs> Whereas myself and Matt, if it varies considerably from about what 20 degrees centigrade 19 pretty 19 is yeah. pretty cold 21 that's too hot yeah yeah yes yeah matt in particular goes straight from complaining about the cold to deliquescing <laughs> within about half a degree <laughs> it's too cold i'm fine i'm boiling <laughs> well, especially when you break out the flamethrower you, you've got to get a new that was one only those. once that was only once oh, but it was it was memorable and that thing was staring at me for at least three episodes <laughs> yes, yes. there's no more shed yeah, no more traffic noise in the background. No, no more, more strange... helicopters going over. Yeah, animal noises in the background. Yeah, the strange. Well, having said that, who knows what the next house will hold? <laughs> well, I've got I've some idea, but I mean, um, so we don't know what new distractions we'll find there. But but when you hear very different acoustics and you know a different echo and so on, that's why. Yeah, we'll uh, sound worse. We'll sound <laughs> <laughs> confidence, man. Confidence. We'll sound just as bad, only differently. Yes, and that's sometimes the best we can hope for. I think that's about it for tonight. Um, Haunted Houses in Call of Cthulhu. That's a wrap. And farewell to the shed. Farewell to the shed. Farewell, shed. So, uh, it's goodbye, shed, from me. Cheerio, shed, from me. And farewell, shed, from me. It was on when you Japanese samba.